0: Hey everybody it's dan and i'm mike so here we are you know how this works this time we're talking about house of games david mammoth's um, big breakthrough film 1987. um this is a film that i've loved since i saw it for the first time when it first came out it's one that mike has just seen and we have not talked about it because that's the premise of the show but i wanted to start by just telling you um mike did you ever hear the story about how joe Montendi got this part no well what happened was as we all know david Mamet wrote Glengarry glenn ross big hit on broadway got the pulitzer prize Joe Mantegna played Ricky Roma on Broadway, Mamet sells the rights to the movie and Al Pacino is going to be Ricky Roma. So there's no, you know, you don't tell Michael Corleone, I'm sorry, we have someone else in mind. So he had to tell, according to Joe Mantegna, he had to tell him, listen, I, I sold it, Pacino's going to do the part. And Joe Mantegna said, all right, I guess, okay, fine, I guess. But David Mamet then said, but I'm going to do something for you. And what he did for him was he wrote him that part in House of Games.
1: That's, that's awesome. And, and certainly this does read like a showpiece uh, for the character of Mike for Joe Mantegna, even though he only shows up, you know, 25, 30 minutes into the movie.
0: Yeah, so I've seen this 100 times, but I'm dying to hear Mike, what did you think you just saw it a day ago? What did you think?
1: I loved it. I thought that there, um, there's a lot of weird mammoth things about it uh, that I like. There's some uh, mammoth knows how to write dialogue, of course, some of the dialogue is intentionally stilted, which I find really interesting. Uh, you know, he writes plays, but he's he's very interesting behind the camera, and I'll get into that more more in my moment. But this is one of the only movies where you can see the twist coming. It makes something like The Sixth Sense uh, seem a little bit juvenile, where you know where everything's been executed, and then you you find out one piece of information, some, suddenly something unravels. There's there's really layers to this, like there like there are to a good confidence trick, and so I like the way that the that the form imitates the structure.
0: Yeah, I love the fact. That I remember seeing it for the first time and not knowing who Joe Montaigne was. Certainly not who Ricky J was or Lindsey Krauss. or. or but, um, and that really appealed to me. That you couldn't really tell. Like, imagine if around the poker table one of the people were like Matt Damon today, or like you know, or, or Jeff Bridges or something. You'd be like, okay, this person's obviously going to be really important. But because you don't know who Ricky J is when he pulls the gun. You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of nervous and you don't really know who Joe montaigne is. He hasn't had a TV career yet. And so he kind of, he's like this really cool guy. I, mean, I was about to say, he's not kind of a cool guy. He is a cool guy, that's why he got the part. So we've talked on the show too, back to our show about The Wicker Man. You know, one of our big themes is that um, the small budgets are actually, actually help you out. I and mean, I think that, that this movie is so claustrophobic and so tight because you could tell that they didn't have a giant budget. They didn't have giant name actors. You had to go from room to room basically. And uh, even today, you know, the cop getting shot would be a much bigger—you know—he'd have he'd have better blood bags on or something like that. But I think that makes the movie a lot more immediate and uh, enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way about the sets. You know, for for a rich lady, she's got kind of a boring office in a really in a really boring place for somebody who can in 1987 pull eighty thousand dollars out of their bank account. Uh, which which I thought watching the movie, but the same thing struck me, which is, David Mammon is the kind of guy. Who makes productions but this is not a production right it's it's exactly like the trick where the guys make the money come out of the envelope it's like what would the what's the least thing that you need in order to trick somebody you just need you sometimes you just need a story or a fake name or one little in and the trick is that mamet already knows how we're going to feel about these characters so there's two things going on he's in control of them but also he can see them as we see them and that's how he's controlling controlling information with very small resources. Well, that that
0: ties in exactly to my moment. So let's go to part two where we talk about our favorite moments.
1: Okay, so welcome back to part two, Dan. You just set us up for your moment. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what it is.
0: Mine is a really obvious one. I still remember when this happened. The first time I saw the film, it's when Ricky J stands up with the gun and it starts leaking. And you are, you are you are taken out of the movie at that point. You almost, you're like, what 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 happened? Like, I was so involved in this about him twisting his ring. And she says, you know, call the bet, call the bet. And, and that's a great moment, I think, because it illustrates, first of all, it's a great fake out, because then you think the con part of the movie's over, and you don't realize that even that was part of the long con they were doing to draw her in. So I had two little thoughts about this. The first is that that moment there, I think reflects what movies do to us, is that we we pay to be conned by great writers, by great directors. We want to be fooled. Um, The worst thing you could say about an Agatha Christie novel is what? What's the worst thing you could say about an Agatha Christie mystery? Oh, I saw that coming. Yeah, <laughs> I figured it out, right? Like the, you want everyone to end like the murder of Roger Ackroyd or the ABC murders, you you wanna be fooled. And sometimes people say, oh, I saw that coming. I figured that out. And I always kind of laugh, I'm like, well, why? Like, I, I liked being fooled by Agatha Christie. Otherwise, why read it? So I think, um, you know, and that word confidence is how we're taking it by confidence. And when you think about the big budget movie franchises like Star Wars and the, the Avengers and James Bond, I think that there's something so brash about them and they're so full of confidence that they kind of sell you this whole world and that you kind of get taken in by that. Even if you think, oh, this is kind of silly or whatever, like you, for that two hours, I remember like the first time I saw the Avengers or seen a kid scene in Star Wars, you kind of like get, they have like a, a certain joy to it and you get sucked in by their confidence. Like there's nothing tentative about a James Bond movie. I'm going to go in, we're going to fight the commies and save the world, done. And I'm going to do this 25 more times. So it, that reminded me of, of, of that moment. But the second thing was, is that you said before, I saw that coming. Now, it also reminded me about like things like cybersecurity. I know you know a lot about cybersecurity, right? So we get these bad emails that are meant to look like Amazon, like click on this button to see your Amazon return budget, or like you get those um, long emails from like the fake banker somewhere in Africa that says, I need an address. And so we laugh at those, but really good um, scam artists, really good con artists are really sophisticated, right? And online, people get sucked in, smart people get sucked in all the time.
1: Well, to, to tie that in, I mean, first I'll say that I think that there's a very natural connection there because actually uh, the Nigerian Prince scam is uh, a form of the old scam called the Spanish prisoner, which is of course, of course, another another play and movie by by David Mamet. So I think David Mamet is, is <laughs> seeing the future a little bit there. Um, and second, you know, uh, speaking of getting large results out of small resources, the way that people win our confidence in situations like that is by picking up little breadcrumbs of stuff that you've left online and presenting themselves as someone who knows you. Hey, Dan, you must be a customer of mine because I know you live at blah, blah, blah. And somebody says, Oh, he knows my address. And so, and, and that's where the click comes from. And so, you know, it, it's like exactly when he's waiting in the Western union station for the soldier yeah. he says it, it, it's not that, uh, it's not that he has confidence in me. It's that I have confidence in him. I'm coming into the relationship with something first uh, and it fools people. Um, but I think, I think you're exactly right. That that's the way that, that this movie works. This movie makes us feel smart and superior to the, to the on that it's uh, that it's main character is feeling, but that's essentially a trick to make us complacent. Yes. They show us a complacent person and we think, well, what she got to complain about. And by the time you know we're morally judging her, the little rational part of our brain that should be watching out for danger has already shut off. We're already yes. emotionally invested.
0: Yeah, because we think that part's over with the leaky water gun, that's how brilliant it
1: is. So what was your moment? So my moment uh, comes way after that when she finds out that she's been involved in the long con. So she's followed Billy around the corner. She's seen that he's driving the same convertible and she follows him uh, back to the diner where the guys are now splitting up her $80,000 the take. And I, I mentioned something about kind of stilted dialogue and stilted scenes, which is what this movie is essentially um, made out of. You know, I'll point to, to two moments, the moment when the guy asks her for her autograph. Yes. And yep. then, you know, when um, when Joe Mantegna says to her something that sounds to me, I know this is not the line, but it sounds to me in my ear, like, would you like to make the love with me? You know what <laughs> I mean? just, like, nobody yeah. talks like that. Yeah. But, uh, but the, the dialogue is stilted because what she overhears is a dialogue and a scene like as good as Tarantino or pulp fiction or like, you know what i mean it's it's fast motion it's it's all done in one take the lines are no longer stilted everybody's talking like people talk and so what you also realize is at the moment when she has confirmation that she's been tricked we actually come back into reality what yeah. we've been watching for the first hour hour and 10 hour and 20 minutes is actually solely from her point of view it's the cinematic equivalent it's the cinematic equivalent of free indirect discourse. It looks third person, but it's already entered the brain of the character such that it's colored reality for us. And we don't realize that until she overhears them. And for me, the movie goes back to normal, if you will. Nothing is stilted after that.
0: Yeah. And plus, remember that you don't realize it's the first time you go through it is that when she's watching that, they're all reciting lines. Like they're all reciting dialogue, not written by David Mammoth, but dialogue written by Mike and dialogue written by Ricky. So they they all aren't going to step on each other's lines. They're not going to upstage each other because they know, Okay, we have to make Mike look this way. We have to make the the cop. The guy's going to pretend to be a cop. So that's why. Right. When 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 she overhears them at the splitting up the money, the whole vibe is different of how they talk to each other
1: yeah, it's a, it's a different movie after that. yeah, and the movie, uh, the thing that I like the best too, is that the movie has one last surprise for you, which is the ending, so we can talk about that in part three. okay.
0: Okay, so welcome back. in part three, we always talk about the title of the ending, Mike, you just mentioned the ending. what What was your take on that?
1: well, we we have two endings here. So of course, the first ending is is when she uh, when she sees Mike in the airport she gets him cornered in the, in the baggage room and he says, you're not gonna shoot me. And she says, it's not my gun. It's not my pistol, I was never here. We have you, had
0: fun, you must we, say that.
1: <laughs> and you, <laughs> and, uh, and she, she makes him beg and he, re, he refuses to beg yeah. and she kills him and his last words are, please sir, may I have another. Yeah. So the, the first surprise is, the first surprise is that you think that all the surprises are over but even then the movie has a couple left, um, you know, we all know, we all think of her from set up from the beginning, watching her through the whole movie that she's not the kind of person who's gonna go murder them. In, in fact, she seems to shrink from the physical violence
0: uh, yes. a little bit through the yeah. movie.
1: And she seems disgusted by the fact that she's got the blood on her. When she does the fake murder, she reacts like she's done a real murder. When she does the real murder, she, rea- she reacts like she's done a fake murder.
0: And we've learned from decades of watching movies that a character like Mike played by Joe Mantegna is bulletproof.
1: Those Absolutely. guys don't
0: die in movies
1: because they're too clever to die. How could they be how could they be tricked into such a vulnerable situation that would right. never happen but it, it you know it reads as though Mike has been spending his life learning how to deal with certain situations, but now he's out of his element because the the mark is in on it, and, and that's what that's what tricks him. But of course, the real ending is when she's talking to her mentor, and her mentor goes to take the take the phone call and she tricks the lady into looking the other way, steals, steals her, her later. later. And so the read that Mike's had on her is nonetheless accurate. And oh, you know 100%. what's happening here is that he, as a con man, he as a person, he as a character is fallible, but his judgments on the world and what the world is like are infallible. I think the movie, the movie has to have him experience consequences without erasing the authority on which he has spoken all of his lines
0: yes absolutely he's 100% right at the end because when he says to her you came back like a dog to its own vomit and 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 you know the, the joke of the movie is that i mean her 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 freud, her sigmund freud uh you know mentor the german could have sang pressures instead of pleasures that's a little heavy handed but but so what who am i but um you know the the physician heal thyself angle of this this movie it's a big thing she presumes to tell other people how their minds work she's written a book about impulses you know she's an authority everybody knows she's, she is but she doesn't even understand her own self until Mike makes her understand that and that's a that's like a big mammoth thing I mean that's an if you, you ever have you ever seen American Buffalo Yes. Yeah. So that's a great thing. He said one of the characters is always going on about friendship and about but and trying to instruct his his younger um his younger mentee but the, the point of the film and that play is that he's the one that needs those lessons. The one that's got his mouth going on the most is the one who should be looking in the mirror. So at the end certainly when she steals that lighter, she gets that she does it for no she could afford the lighter, right? Like think about it. Like why does she steal it?
1: Just for the thrill of
0: it. Yeah, just for the thrill of it, because there's something thrilling about getting away with that stuff. And so you have no, you know, Mike. Uh, Mike from this film could easily sell houses to newlyweds that they can't afford. He could easily talk you and me into leasing a car we really don't need. He's really, he's full of confidence, right? He's really good at that, and he does it. Why does he do it? Because it's thrilling. Because it's exciting.
1: But he's got the he's got the read on her from the beginning. Because yeah. Once you see the movie. You yeah. have to realize that what's what's been happening is Billy has been working her for a con and tells Mike about it. And Mike says, okay, here's how we're gonna cash it in. You gotta bring her in. Yeah. And so even without meeting her, he knows that she's gonna show up.
0: Right, you have to get, what does Alec Baldwin say in Glengarry Glen Ross? You have to get them to sign on the line that is dotted. And you know, you, the leads are weak, you're weak.
1: But of course my favorite touch is that it must've been Mike who gave Billy the gun and say, "Go." go say that you're gonna kill yourself. And so that gun, which he probably put into Billy's hands, travels all the way back through her purse to meet him in the in the airplane, in the airport parking lot.
0: Yeah. Great film. Great film. So we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about House of Games. We're big fans of David Mamet. You can check out our past episode on Homicide. I'm sure we'll get to other of his films, more of his films as we go on. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're at 15MINFilm. You can email us at 15 Film spelled out 15 Film on Gmail. Let us know what you want us to watch. We're coming up on our 100th episode very soon. We're going to have a big, big blowout for that, Mike. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.